my goodness, we're weighted on this side today. I just, uh, if, if this side would challenge this side to a sporting event, y'all would win by sheer numbers. <clears throat> but it is good to see everybody. Glad that you're here for this time of worship. And if you're visiting here, we hope that you will return uh, many, many times in the future to be a part of uh, our worship and, and uh, uh, growth experience here at the church. A lot of things going on at the church. Every Sunday we have a, a contemporary service at 9, followed by Sunday school at 10, and then this service at 11. Uh, special activities for children and our youth meet uh, tonight at uh, 6.30. So if you're uh, searching for a place of home and nurture, we invite you to consider us as a, a place to meet your spiritual needs. Council on Ministries will be meeting later today at 5.30 for uh, continuing our planning for the church activities. Um, next Sunday will be the Ice Cream Social. Uh, I just love this announcement that Lee Radline wrote. She said, church ice cream social can't be licked for fun. That sounds like something I'd write, you know. <clears throat> but uh, anyway, that's next Sunday afternoon and you're invited to bring homemade ice cream or homemade pie or cookies to share with new and old friends. We especially hope to get our uh, newest church members there for us all to meet and we invite them to be there. The following Sunday, the 23rd, is Promotion Sunday. Um, Lee writes that uh, children advance to their new school grade level that Sunday. For example, if your child just turned three in July, she or he will be in the three and four preschool room. If your child doesn't turn three until later on after the school year begins, he or she will be in the one and two preschool program until the following promotion year. If your child is going into the third grade, he or she will be in the second and third grade class. And during the 11 o'clock service, rising third graders will be presented Bibles. Um, so that's two weeks from today. Later on that same day, we will be celebrating Promotion Sunday by having uh, an, an afternoon gathering at Roller Sports in Taylor's from 4 to 6. The cost is $5 a person to skate. Uh, that includes two hours private skate time and a drink. Um, I'm not sure whether our doctors that we have in our church family will be there, but hopefully at least one of them will be there to care for us old folks that try to skate. So um, anyway, that's coming up in two weeks. Our United Methodist men's group will be having a pancake supper in mid-September. Mid and uh, their tickets in the possession of United Methodist men members. And if you need to buy a ticket for the pancake supper, see one of them and you'll be hearing more about this in the days to come as well. I'm especially glad to see that Ralph Johnson was able to be here today and that he is walking because I heard the other day that Harriet said, I wonder what's on TV tonight. And Ralph said, dust. And, <clears throat> but he's able to walk again now. I'm very glad that that's him. You're welcome. I thought you'd appreciate that. <laughs> 
Also, just one final note, and that is that you have in your bulletin uh, something about the Aldersgate Special Needs Ministry. We have long had in the United Methodist Church in South Carolina homes for our elderly. We now are going into having uh, homes for uh, adult, uh, young adults primarily, um, uh, who are in special needs um, situations, and, and you can read about that there in this little insert. We invite you to make a special contribution um, to this cause today as well. Uh, let us now begin together our time in worship.
affirmation of faith is the Apostles' Creed. It is on page 881. Let us unite in this historic confession of the Christian faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he arose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and stood at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. This time we'd like to invite the children to come forward for a few moments of sharing, which will be led by Craig Dittmar. Good morning. How are you all doing today? Good. <clears throat> what do you all want to be when you grow up? Astronaut. An astronaut. Why do you want to be an astronaut? Because I want to discover like all sorts of stuff, like um, on new moons where, where nobody haven't been on yet, planets people haven't been on yet. There's a lot of stuff. So you like astronauts? You think that they do a lot of neat stuff? What do you want to be? I want to be a veterinarian. A veterinarian. Why do you want to be a veterinarian? Because I have a cat and a dog, and I love very much, and mm. I care about them, and I thought a veterinarian would be a good. So you'll take care of them. You like people that help take care of pets. What do you all want to be? Mm, probably a basketball player. A basketball player? Do you have a favorite basketball player? Not yet, but you will, huh? Like you like LeBron James? I don't know. You know, <laughs> Kim Garnett. What do you want to be when you grow up? I'm going to the makes Bakugan. Makes what? Bakugan. Didn't catch that. But you want to make stuff? Okay. Well, do you, do you know any astronauts or veterinarians or basketball players? Okay, and do you look up to him? You, th you like to be like him? Mars and stuff. So you want to go to the next planet up? Do you know any veterinarians? Miss Lindsay. Miss Lindsay, would you like to be like her? Well, what we're going to talk about today is when we have people that we look up to, you know, people we want to be like. They're called role models. 
Have you ever heard of a role model? A role model is people that you admire or people that you look up to and people that you want to be like. Now, the Bible talks about a role model. Who do you think that they might be talking about? Jesus, absolutely. We want to be like Jesus because he was sent by God to be a role model for us and that we should live our life similar to, to Jesus. Um, in the book of Ephesians, it says, Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragment offering and sacrifice to God. We are to be just like God, or just like Jesus. And they talked about, as if we are imitators of Jesus, we are acting like the children of God. And we are, and when we say the Lord's Prayer, how, do, how does it start? Our Father who art in heaven. So we are the children of God. And so if we are the children of God, we should act like God's son, who is Jesus. Now, what are some of the things that we all like about Jesus? What is he? He didn't lie or anything. He didn't lie. He was honest and trustworthy. Absolutely. He gave himself up for others. He was, he was a good friend. Now, and when he died for us, that meant all of our sins were forgiven. So he is forgiving. Was he kind? Mm-hmm. Was he loving? Mm-hmm. Was he obedient? Yes, he was. He was always obedient to God, his Father. And I think that what we're really trying to look at is that he has all of these good characteristics. Or all, he does all these good things that we should all try to do in our own lives so that we can be more like him. And most importantly, to be obedient to God. And I'm still working on that myself. And we could go on and on about all the good things that Jesus has done for us and done for everybody um, on, on, this, on this earth. And maybe even some of those other earths that are out there that you may discover sometime. Well, and I think that right now with all the wars going on, to be a, somebody in the army, I think is a very, very noble and courageous thing to be. Because they, aren't they sacrificing themselves for all of us? For our for, yeah, for God and our country, so that we can worship the way we want to. So I, I think that's a very good role model. Okay, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to us so that we have a model to follow, that we may be more like him and to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen.
Nathan the prophet had warned King David that because of the fact that he had had uh, Uriah killed and taken his wife that he would have insurrections within his own family and the reading today from 2 Samuel chapter 18 is a fulfillment of, of that warning where David's own son Absalom, uh, Absalom took up uh, arms against his own father and set up his kingdom over in Hebron and I'm um, not going to read the whole thing, but just 31 through 33 of 2 Samuel 18. Uh, David had tried to bring peace back to his nation and spare his son's life at the same time. And he had ordered that uh, Absalom would not be harmed in any way. But um, David's very wise general Joab knew that that wouldn't work. And so he arranged to have Absalom uh, caught and killed on the battlefield. And when the king heard about his son's death, even though it meant peace in his homeland, here's what King David uh, did. The Cushite arrived and said, My lord the king, hear the good news. The lord has delivered you today from all who rose up against you. The king asked the Cushite, is the young man Absalom safe? The Cushite replied, may the enemies of, the, of my lord the king and all who rise up to harm you be just like that young man. The king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. As he went, he said, oh my son, son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. Here ends the lesson. Responsive reading is Psalm 130. On the page 848 of your hymnal, I invite you to stand as we share this passage together responsively. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, in the Lord's word, I hope. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, with the Lord is plenteous redemption. Our epistle reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 25 and reading through chapter 5, verse 2. 
Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly beloved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Here ends the reading.
Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, many of us are here today because of good habits formed long ago in our childhood, and we're thankful for this. We're thankful that just as we have gotten into the routine of eating three healthy meals a day, so we have gotten into a habit of weekly spiritual feedings here as we worship on Sundays here in this house of worship. But others are here today, perhaps not out of habit, but out of deep, deep hunger. Because we know that whether we come out of habit or whether we come out of a great sense of hunger, there's something that we find in relationship with you that fills that longing of our hearts that reminds us that we are forgiven and how we need to hear those words spoken to us that in the name of Christ, we are forgiven. But there may be others here who are hungry to know that you really are there and that you really care and that you can fill their hunger for right standing in your sight through Jesus Christ. Be for them this day, O Lord, what you are for all of us, the bread of life. Feed our souls today that we might all feel forgiven and might in some new ways come to understand that you have satisfied that longing of our hearts to know that there is a God who cares about us, who is willing to make total sacrifice of himself for us. For this, we are truly grateful. And Lord, as we go from here into the world, help us be mindful of the fact that there are spiritually hungry people around us all the time. They may express that hunger in some ways that are very unfilling to them. Some of them perhaps turn even to lives of of crime and harm of their fellow human beings, not knowing that deep down there is a hunger to be loved and to be cared for by Almighty God. Help us as we go into the world to remember that we carry you with us, you who are the bread of life, you who will satisfy the hungering and the longing of everyone we come in contact with this week. Cause us to go forth and lead them in a way that causes them to find what we have found, fulfillment in you that we didn't find elsewhere. We're thankful that Jesus is the bread of life who has come down from heaven and that when we eat of his word, And as we partake of his life, we will live forever. None of us, Lord, have seen that heavenly realm, but we believe Jesus, who came from heaven and has told us about heaven, who after his resurrection 
ascended into heaven and told his disciples to go into all the world to talk about the eternal life that you offer us through the bread of heaven. And we are truly thankful for this. Cause us to be comforted in our times of loneliness and grief as we believe that as Jesus lived and died and rose again, so shall we live and die and rise again to eternal life. And this we celebrate this day and every day. And how wonderful it is, O oh Lord, to be your children and to walk in fellowship with you. These things we pray in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now let us continue our time in worship as we give.
Our gospel lesson is from John chapter 6, verses 35, and then 41 through 51. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, the truth he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Here ends the lesson. I'm pretty sure the first time I heard this comment made was by someone who may be your doctor. Dr. Tom Ballard and I were in high school together as well as college. He's a physician here in Greer. And he ran for student body president and after hearing some of the other campaign speeches, Tom said, most of these speeches today remind me of a Texas longhorn steer. There's a point here and a point here, but a whole lot of bull in between. Well, that's the way it is with lots of political speeches, I guess. Someone has said that hearing a political speech will give you tonsillitis because whatever they say is hard to swallow without uh, roughing up your throat a little bit. The crowd that listened to Jesus after that feeding of the 5,000 we've been talking about for several weeks and then they traveled to Capernaum to find him. They listened to a very lengthy speech by Jesus, and the more he said, the harder it was for them to swallow what he was saying, especially when he told the crowd, I am the bread of life. Now this was the first of the seven great I am sayings of Jesus that are recorded in the book of John. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Every time Jesus uttered that phrase, I am, he was repeating the holy name of God which was given to Moses. You remember that Moses asked, 
Whom shall I say is sending me to Egypt to free the people from slavery? And God had replied, tell them I am has sent you. Yahweh has sent you. Part of the problem with the I am sayings of Jesus uh, is that Jesus was speaking metaphorically instead of literally. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Symbolic language like that needs to be chewed on for a while in order to be digested properly. You just can't swallow it whole. The crowd near Jesus that day must have wondered if Jesus was being a poet or whether he was actually talking out of his head. And yet some of the greatest doctrines and communion liturgy that we have today came from this beautiful passage in the book of John. From our point of view, it's easy to read Holy Communion into the words of Jesus. And as we partake of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, we break bread in remembrance of the one whose body was broken for us, who is the bread for the world. And we understand that Jesus fulfilled our hunger for righteousness by giving his life for us and making peace with God so that we may have that right standing with God. And now we're not famished any longer for right standing with God. We know that we've been given eternal life by Jesus. And so this bread from heaven, which we have eaten, that is the Christ in whom we have placed our trust, will keep our lives safe in him. We will never die, even though our bodies will. The bread of communion represents the flesh of Jesus, the body, and the wine represents the blood. It's easy for us to imagine that this passage from John found its way into the communion readings of the early church. And perhaps that's the very reason that John recorded these uh, words, was to give the early church a passage of scripture to read as they received Holy Communion. Now, it really is an interesting thing that John recorded those words at all because John never tells us about the First Communion. He does tell us that Jesus and the disciples came together to share a Passover meal the night that, John, uh, that Jesus was arrested. He tells us that Jesus washed his disciples' feet. But look closely at John's Gospel, especially John 13 through 17. You will not find there the story of where Jesus, after the meal, took the bread, blessed it and broke it, and said, this is my body. Nor will you find the place where Jesus blessed the cup and said, this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. It is nowhere to be found in John's gospel. It is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and 1 Corinthians, but not in John. Causing some theologians to think that John wasn't that much into the sacrament. If that is true, that Holy Communion was not that important to John, that sure would make him a good United Methodist today. Because when we have communion at United Methodist churches today, we United Methodists stay away in droves from Holy Communion. Somebody said there are two things that will keep a Methodist away from worship. 
One is rain, because we're afraid we'll get too much water on us. That's what our Baptist friends say. And Communion Sunday, we stay away. Someone asked me not long ago why we don't celebrate Holy Communion more often in the United Methodist Church, and I replied, because we can't afford to. People stay home on those Sundays, and they keep their offerings with them. It would be wonderful if we could have communion more often. I'm being a bit tongue-in-cheek with these comments, but it is true that people make a point of missing church on communion Sundays, and maybe it's because the service is a little longer than some others, or maybe it's a little bit more boring to some people than others. Maybe it's because the service calls us to examine our hearts with a willingness to grow that is a bit frightening. Sometimes it's because the service requires us to sit still and to think and meditate, and we don't do that very well in our modern society. We don't take time to think. But we really do need to examine our faithfulness in participating in Holy Communion because it's always been the centerpiece of Christian worship. And we might better practice worship at meditation before we get to heaven because there'll be a lot of it there and I'd hate for you to feel uncomfortable in heaven. But I really do believe that John was a fan of Holy Communion or else he wouldn't have given us this beautiful sacramental passage in John 6. There is almost as much debate over the meaning of Holy Communion as there is over the meaning of baptism. With baptism, Christians argue about how much water is necessary, or whether it should be administered to adult believers only or to infants, and whether or not it's necessary for salvation. With the Holy Eucharist, theologians have long debated the meaning of Jesus' words, this is my body, this is my blood, and also whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. There are some groups of Christians who have interpreted this to mean that the bread and wine actually become flesh and blood through a process of transubstantiation and that this physical act of eating and drinking the communion elements is absolutely essential for you to be saved. In groups like that one I was just speaking of, uh, in those groups, if you miss Holy Communion, it is to put yourself in great danger of losing your salvation because you have failed to regularly eat Christ's flesh and drink his blood. The problem that most of us Protestants have with this interpretation is that it makes our salvation dependent upon a ritual. If you don't get dunked right, or if you don't eat and drink right, you aren't saved, and we don't buy that. That makes faith impotent and God's actions insufficient. I believe that the sacraments are better understood as conveyors of truth. Baptism doesn't save us, but it reminds us that the God who does save us washes us clean of all sins and immerses us into the fellowship of the church, his body. Bread and wine are not transubstantiated into literal flesh and blood, but as we partake of the Lord's Supper, 
we can experience the real presence of Christ Jesus with us, and we are reminded how God has acted in Jesus' crucifixion to save us. Eating my flesh and drinking my blood would then mean to draw our spiritual nourishment from Jesus, his life, and his example. This passage from John also was very helpful to the church in formulating some of our most important doctrines because it tells us a lot about Jesus' identity. One thing that Jesus claimed to be was the one who had come from heaven. And as such, he claimed to be the only person who had ever seen God and known God intimately. Now Jesus' kinsman grumbled at this statement, how can he claim to be from heaven? We know his parents, how can he say that? One of the doctrines developed by the early church was the idea that Jesus was the child of Mary and therefore 100% human, but he was the child of God at the same time and 100% divine as well. Paul wrote it this way in his letter to the Romans regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. This doctrine of the incarnation tells us that Jesus united God and humanity in his flesh and he united us again through his death. Did I ever tell you folks in another sermon that if everyone in the United States of America would drive a pink automobile, then we would be a pink carnation? If I've already told you that, you're wondering why I would repeat it, and if I have not, you're wondering why I would say that to you in the first place, just to keep you awake. The doctrine of the incarnation is one of the most meaningful of our beliefs. It tells us that God loved his children so much that he chose to come here to be with us, taking upon himself our human form and even our human nature. The one who is holy came into our unholy world and enfleshed himself in our humanity with all of its weaknesses and temptations. Through Christ, God experienced human birth if you can imagine that. Human life, temptation, happiness, loneliness, grief, death, and resurrection. Whatever you are experiencing in life, God has been there and has done that. It is because of his intimate knowledge of God, his oneness with God, that Jesus can be the revealer of God to us. You see, he knows what and who he is talking about. The picture of God that Jesus gives us is the clearest one we can ever expect because he has seen God and has come to earth to tell us about God. If you wonder what God is like, just look at Jesus. And if you wonder why the God that Jesus revealed is a little different from the concept of God found in the Old Testament, it is because the Old Testament people lacked that personal knowledge of God that only Jesus possessed and therefore only Jesus could tell us about. If they had been able 
to see God perfectly clear, there would have been very little need for Jesus to come to be the revealer of God. One of the concepts that helps me in my study of the Old Testament is the concept of progressive revelation. What this means is that as history unfolded, our understanding of God changed and progressed from ignorance toward truth. As successive generations built upon the knowledge of their parents, it would be understandable that Noah might have a deeper understanding of God than Adam did, and that David would have the wisdom about God that had been passed down to him through Moses, and therefore David should have known God more fully than Noah did. The prophets came later, and they would have an even clearer understanding of God. This helps me explain why the attributes of God seem to change as we progress through the Old Testament period. His nature seems to change from an almost warlike God early in the Bible to a more fatherlike God in the prophets. But it isn't God who changed, it is our understanding of him that did. But it is Jesus who gives us the clearest picture ever because as he claimed, he has seen God and he was God on earth. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He is the bread which has come down from heaven and by feasting on him, we grow into his likeness and are given eternal life. He satisfies our thirst for God and our hunger for righteousness. He has given us the sacrament of Holy Communion so that we can be reminded to feed upon him often. Jesus is the only one who has ever seen God up close and personal, as we say, and he was God's incarnation on earth, fully revealing God to us. May God draw all of us close to himself and open our understanding to his nature as revealed in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.